0: It's a real privilege for me to be here with Dr. Rico Tice. Not doctor. (laughs) With the Reverend Rico Tice. Reverend Rico Tice, yeah. Sitting here opposite the BBC
1: at All Souls Church. Rico, how are you, sir? I'm tired. I've just come from doing a weekend mission in Sidcup, uh, Christchurch Sidcup. And uh, they were working really hard to get their friends to about seven different events. But um, yeah, that means you get to the end of that, and you're just exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. And I was commuting back to my family each night because we've got a one-year-old. So the combination of that meant that I'm I'm a bit cooked. <laughs> <Bless you. laughs> and did you speak many times? I spoke seven times, I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, right. Yeah, seven yeah, times yeah. over two days. And, and yeah, and interestingly, once was we were doing a sports talk after they'd done some lots of five aside, and there was a children's party in the corner while I was trying to speak. So that was and telly's on. So that was. Um, Colourful. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well done. I think yeah. it's probably it uh, probably has some New Testament precedent, so possibly not with football.
1: Yeah, well I think you yeah, it was pretty brutal. Well <laughs> they're the illustration they always like. I get out the Lance Armstrong book and the title of his book is It's Not About the Bike and I say, Look, this is the gap between the real and the ideal and Lance says it's not about the bike and we now know you're right, Lance, it wasn't about the bike. (laughs) And I always say I love the Australian lending library that moved that book from biography to fiction on the day that the scandal broke. But I'm trying to get people to see there's a gap between the real and the ideal, between what we try and, you know, um, sort of present and what's really going on.
0: That's right. It's extraordinary at the moment. We have young people wearing Che Guevara on their T-shirts because he was someone who wanted to change the world and make a difference but our people have changed the world and made a difference. William Wilberforce, Shaftesbury, Spurgeon,
1: Wesley—these well, yeah. guys changed the world. Well, humbly, we need to say that, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. And look, yeah. not
0: even better than Che. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's interesting going back to that that talk. As I go on a weekend like that, you, Billy Graham said, it's not getting people saved that's the issue; it's getting them lost. Oh. And and how do you get people lost? So the the whole issue on a mission is. How do you get people to see their sin? Because if they can see their sin, they'll see their need of Christ. Mm, mm. And so that, that, again and again, you're saying, Lord, please open their eyes to the fact they are in a far country, they're lost, they're in a pigsty, they're chained to sin and death. Um, Lord, please, may they see that and cry That's out right. for Christ. So it's trying to do We're that.
0: looking at Luke 20 at the moment in our little church plant, and yeah. we noticed when the, when the uh, chief priests, elders, and scribes come to Jesus in the temple, they say, on whose authority are you doing this? Yeah. And Jesus says, okay, just answer me. John's baptism. In other words, now what did John do? Yeah. He showed people they needed a saviour. He said, yeah. you guys, was it from God or from men? Well, <clears throat> they don't even think about it. They just mm. ask each other, what, did you, what, what if we say this, if we say this? But John came to prepare the way, to show people
1: their mm, need. Their need. Their need for a saviour. Yeah. And therefore, the heart of the gospel is not, oh, Lord, my life is empty, fill me. The heart of the gospel is, oh, Lord, I'm an offence to you, rescue me. Amen. And when you hear gospel presentations, you're always to listen for that. Mm. Are people saying, look, I need to be filled, and it's a wonderful thing to be filled by the Spirit, or is the ultimate message, I need to be rescued from the coming wrath? Amen, that amen,
0: deal. amen. That, that's one thing I've loved from your emphases, that you mm. see the importance of sin being dealt with as that which God came to do, which Jesus came to do. Yeah. And that is, that is a, an emphasis which you don't hear. A lot. In That's right. Time.
1: God is the problem with my sin, although it does mess my life up, but the biggest problem I've got is that it makes God angry. Now mm-hmm. the big thing you then have to do as an evangelist is persuade people that God's judgment and anger is a good thing. Cool. So in the Bible, God's judgment is not set up in opposition to his goodness. It's proof he's good. Mm-hmm. Because he's good, he judges. And mm-hmm. so when I stand up to speak, I say, I want to persuade you today that judgment's great. And then I'll move them on to your own judgment. But you know, I, I get up, um, slumdog millionaire, that I hold the book up and I say A little boy in here gets his eyes burned out, he's an orphan so he can earn more money begging. Mm. Now doesn't that enrage you? Mm. We don't want a God that says that doesn't matter. Yes. But when it comes to our own sin, can we not see we're in danger as well? Amen. We haven't done that but we've ignored the God who made us. That's right. So it's trying to communicate sin as my primary problem is God. Mm. And interestingly on the Christianity Explored course, I always thought the missiological week, the big week, would be the week on grace. Mm. That hasn't been the case. Wow. The big week has been the week on sin. Wow. Week three, where we say the qualification of being Christian is not, are you good enough, are you bad enough? Uh, that's from uh, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 7. Your heart's a fountain of evil, Mark 7 verse 20. It's not the external things, where you go, what you touch, what you eat. It's the internal things, it's your heart. If you still think you're okay, Mark 12, 28 to 30. Have you loved God with heart, soul, mind, and strength? And if you don't think it's a problem, then Mark chapter 9, what you do with your hands and your feet versus um, uh, the back end of it, verse 42 to 47, will take you to hell. So mm. it is important what you do with the, the, the feet, hands, eyes God's created mm. will take you to hell. Now, I could chop those off, my hands, my feet, I could take up my eye, but the problem is Mark 7, my heart. Yes, and i can't rip my heart out, yeah. so i 've got to be rescued Amen. now that is is the week we find mm. that um that causes people, if they get that to then come to faith because they're so convicted of sin, they then long for the cross wow, oh bless yeah. god yeah, yeah. and
0: it, in eternity, that song will be sung. the lamb who was slain it won't be sung. Uh, the decoration that we saying the lamb was slain before this. Before... Well, it,
1: it's holding our nerve and keeping on saying it However unpopular it gets and yet at the same time Realizing that we need to keep talking about sin Realistically and biblically, but in ways that people can comprehend mm-hmm. Which is why you know, I'll talk about this later. Maybe with Christian Explored We've moved we're running Christian Explored, but we're also doing life Explored on idolatry to mm-hmm. try and help people unpack sin Amen. From a different angle.
0: I found Keller very helpful on this, the way he talks about yeah, he's, the, he's he, he describes, well, he essentially comes from Luther, where he says the default position of the human heart is religion. Mm. In other words, even when we get the gospel, it's then we try to put it into a system where we can uh, we, we can work it. Martin yeah. Lloyd-Jones once said to my dad, he said, uh, the chief sin of the evangelical church is putting God in a little box and telling him what he can and what he can't do. And yeah, that is, uh, I, th- I think it's a fascinating thing that we, yeah. we try to distill the gospel into something I can manage. But no, he wants us to be, he wants the father-son relationship where we run to him, Abba, Father, which he can, we can only do when the sin which separated us has been dealt
1: with. And I found that as we've run Life Explored and put it together, I've been amazed at my own blindness being how the devil has, I'm a committed Christian, but the devil has blinded me to areas where, There's idolatry that leads me to sin. So, for example, when I arrived at All Souls, people would say, had you done something? And I'd say, yes, I had, when I hadn't. I would do a straight lie because my idol was to be seen as a fine Christian leader. And it took me about 10 years to actually say, no, I haven't done it. I'm very sorry. I apologize. Because actually my identity had to be in the grace of God. Wow. And that wasn't in my own performance, but my idol was in a good thing that had become a God thing, being seen as a fine Christian leader. Mm. Now, I think what's staggering is how many um, of our committed brothers and sisters are blinded in certain areas Mm. by the devil's ruse. Mm -hmm. And you you need to pull that back and help them to see how the idol is doing it. The way you see it is like me with my lying. Why do I keep lying? Mm. Why do I keep saying I've done something when I haven't? What's driving that? you know, that, that's it's interesting
0: that. That when when Wilberforce was struggling with these uh, with these variables, he was wondering, am I am I converted? Where's my faith? Where's yes. my conscience? The man he went to, this is a yeah. mem- story I always come back to. The man he went to was Newton, mm. and what's striking is that Newton didn't just believe the doctrines of grace; he was gracious. And yeah. you don't always find people who know the doctrines who are also gracious. Yeah, that's a very good point. But if you look yeah. at his letters, you find again and again and again, the man was mm. saturated in God's grace. He had known what yes. it was to struggle with those variables and yeah. wrestle.
1: I love the thing on Newton that he, I read in Piper, that he so loved his church family, he wasn't a very good preacher, but he so loved his church family, they, they came mm-hmm. because they felt so cared for. Wow. And I think that's a great message, isn't it, for the person who... Um, just just realize just how important the pastoral care is and the you know 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 We loved you so much. We share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. That's what Newton did That's striking. That um, doesn't
0: always happen. Does it you get someone who's a great preacher? Uh, who might impress or a man from whom they feel the love of God who was given a PhD by Princeton as well oh. because his doctrine was so rich But the
1: rich doctrine was applied in a heart well, I think it's a huge issue, particularly yeah. when we're, we're more and more suspicious of very articulate people. Yeah. How are they very in? interesting
0: point. Yeah. So, when was it and how was it you first came to hear and understand the gospel yourself, Rico?
1: Um, I was at school, and my godfather was killed in a cliff fall on the 6th of August, 1982. And I, I realized. When he died, he was my dad's older brother and been a big figure in my life because he only had daughters So I was a boy and his godson and his nephew and there was just a there was just a big relationship there And when he was suddenly killed when I was 15 I realized that death had never been raised either at school or at home. It was a totally taboo subject and so You know that sense of you know God has put eternity into our hearts. What do we do now? I remember the deep deep um, sense of just despair, what are we going to do? I'm going to die one day like my godfather, then we're all gone. And a maths teacher, Christopher Ash, who now, who ran Cornhill, is now writing um, up in Cambridge um, uh, at Tyndall House, he's their resident writer. But Christopher Ash said to me, that when Christ rose from the dead, he rose to get you through death. And I, I remember thinking, if that's true, it's the most important thing in the world. And mm-hmm. um, so that, that, that was huge. I kept a diary as well, and, and that didn't so much reveal to me the need for Easter Day and hope. It revealed to me the need for Good Friday and forgiveness. I, this diary just b- became a sort of an alternative CV. You know, when you're at school, you're meant to build up one CV of achievements. You're building up another CV that's hidden of your own sin. And I found as I built up that alternative CV, it, it led me again to despair you know i'd ask you know I'd, I'd call for world peace, but never lay aside the weapons of malice and sarcasm I used in my own self defense mm. i'd I'd call for an end to starvation ask my parents for a large allowance, and as you can see, I would eat it <laughs> you know there, there would just be this this disconnect and um so I think it was during eighty two nineteen eighty two that I came to see Jesus died for my sin and rose so I could have hope in the face of death and and and, I, I, and then very interestingly, John Stott always used to say that anger can be a very valid motivation for ministry. And I then looked around me and thought, actually, the gospel is not being clearly preached here at all. Mm. Now that's because the institution I was in, my parents lived my parents lived abroad in Africa, so we got sent over to a, a boarding school here because they weren't in the country. That was at the start of those years, and. Um, I realized that it's impossible, really, because those schools want the chaplain to say, we're all good chaps, we're all in it together, and Ephesians 2, 1-10 to says, we're not all good chaps, we're not all in it together. Mm. So you're, you're, it's very hard, I think, for the chaplain to, to actually preach the gospel when the community is trying to say, we're all in this together, we're all good guys. But obviously I didn't see the difficulty the chaplain had. All I could see was the gospel's not being preached. Right. And so that was a big motivation for me to yep. start preaching. Wow. Yeah, because, I, you know, it's that sense of my friends need to hear this and they're not getting it, mm.
0: you know. So at the heart of what you understood was this great substitution, the message of Jesus coming and taking death.
1: Yeah, brother, I think the heart of what I understood was I'm a sinner and I'm going to die. Mm. I was locked into sin and death. And in God's kindness, he opens my eyes to that reality. And then having seen that, the wonder of Good Friday and Easter day, mm. of, of again, Christ, my substitute on wow. the cross. And the proof that it's all true is the resurrection. Mm. You know, how do I know sin is defeated? Well, sin leads to death. The door of death is broken open by Jesus, which means that sin has been paid for. And really? you know, just beginning to get the logic of that. Wonderful,
0: bless God. I've, it's always struck me, I was so excited, when I first came to understand, understand the gospel well, when I came to understand the gospel as, mm. as a late teenager, What struck me was the cross, the cross, the cross. But what has struck me since has been that all the lasting servants of the church whose contribution has stood the test of time, that's been their cry. And one thing which Stott said was, we never move on from the cross, only to a deeper realization
1: of its significance. Yes, I mean, it was interesting. I think Simeon, who was a great hero of Stott, is, is extraordinary. I mean, he was hated and vilified in Cambridge. And yet each morning he would emerge again from his living quarters and come out as a man of joy and goodwill and kindness. And the reason was that in his quiet time he'd read the scriptures, seen his own sin, seen the wonder of grace, and that made him thankful and joyful. So the way in which he encouraged himself was back to the Bible, his own sin, the wonder of grace, and then out to others from there. Mm. And um, I, I, you know, I always think I, you know Simeon is an amazing example of yes. how the cross mobilizes us. Yes, yes.
0: Mm. Have you ever heard the uh, discussion between Simeon and Wesley? No. It oh, was a real an extraordinary moment where Wesley comes and meets Charles Simeon. Of course, Wesley the Arminian, Simeon the yes. Calvinist, and Simeon was the younger man. So he says, "So, Mr. Wesley, I hear you are a you are what is called an Arminian. He says, yes, yes I am. He says, uh, well, and then he goes through five or six questions. Do you believe there is only one way that you can be saved? And that's by faith in Jesus. he no. says, yes, I do. Do you believe that that faith is a gift of God? That, it can, that, that mm. you could not work up yourself that was given from God? Yes, I do believe that. Yes. Do you believe that faith... Enduring faith will only be supplied to you from God for the Mm. rest of your life. Yes. Do you believe the perseverance of the saints is going going to happen by the grace of God? Yes, I do. And then Simeon says, then I suggest we put away our daggers because that is all my Calvinism. You think, again, Mm. Simeon, a man who believes the doctrines of grace, Mm. not because they're an interesting
1: mental thing, but because they've gone right through him in the way you're describing that. No, he was extraordinary, I think. And to do it as a single man as well, to to find the resources to mobilize himself from scripture without the love and care of a wife i, I, I think is also pretty extraordinary yeah. yes yeah. amen amen
0: now Rika, someone at Christian Heritage London, we're interested in bringing the stories of yes. these saints to the attention mm. of our church today. It's a biblical thing to look mm. back at saints from the past and, yes. and to be inspired by them. And whenever people talk about the impact the gospel has made in the world, they frequently come to London as their example. I heard Ravi Zacharias again yes. recently saying, the gospel has changed the world. And then he immediately gave three Londoners. We've got Wilberforce. Uh, I think it was Wesley and Spurgeon, and he just went mm. for it, all three. And you think, well, they've, they've all got history within mm. walking distance of this building. Interesting, yeah.
1: So, we've, um, so yeah, who is it? can you give us a name of someone who has had an impact on you from history? Well, ironically, I'm afraid I'm going to go to Sydney, not London. <laughs> but, I, I, um, but when I was a young man, John Chapman, um, who was an Australian evangelist, had a great impact on me. I think, I think because he was so deeply reformed, so, you know, his great line was um, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, we preach Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, as we preach Christ, the God who said let light shine out of darkness makes his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. So as Christ is preached, God does a miracle. He takes the power that made the world, he opens my eyes. By recreating my heart, the eyes of my uh, uh, heart get opened, and I see who Jesus is, and it is a miracle. Mm. Now, because Chapo taught me that, it took the pressure off. It meant that I wasn't trying to be driven by results. I'm not, you know, as I've just done this mission in Sidka, I'm not saying how many. I'm saying, Chapo's great line was this, did you preach Christ wow. plainly? Wow. So it's not results, it's truth. And therefore, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians you know, we don't distort the Word of God, we don't use deception. Now I, I, I think the great danger that I would have been in was I would have to get results because I, I you know I can be results-orientated. I would have cut the price some more will buy. I'd have left out you know some of the tough stuff, um, you know, the, the the stuff on the wrath of God. I'd have left out the stuff on repenting, on sexual sin. Um, these days on same-sex attraction and and the way in which actually God's will is just or a man and a woman within marriage to have sex. You know, those things are incendiary, Mm. but I will say them because as I preach Christ, now do it graciously, but as I preach Christ, I trust God to open blind eyes. So I'm not concerned with the results, I'm concerned with telling the truth, and that is enormously important, I think, for keeping equilibrium.
0: Mm. Oh, that's beautiful, yeah. And as, uh, again, I've got from Keller, he similarly says, of course, We don't come under a new law when we're saved, but grace is Christ-shaped. Essentially, when Paul is telling people to do something, he speaks Mm. of Christ. So when he's talking about generosity, he says, remember Christ, who though he was rich, he became poor, so that we might become rich in him. So give. And husbands, husbands, love your wives, like Christ Christ. loved the church. So we find again and again, as we are preaching Christ, it isn't an irrelevant 2,000-year-ago, 3,000-mile-away religion it is the heart of everything.
1: And repentance is whatever he's for, I'm for. Whatever he's against, I'm against. Hmm. So it's utterly Christ-centered repentance. It's Jesus for this, I'm for it. If he's not, I'm against it. But also as a preacher, when you call people to repent, which is 2 Timothy 2 verse 24, it's interesting that as you call repentance, God grants them the gift of repentance. Hmm. So I trust God to be regenerating people or moving people's hearts as I call people to repent. Mm. So again, that's not in my control. Yeah. I, just, I just teach the truth, knowing God will do what he will do. Mm. And again, that's so important for maintaining faithfulness mm. because otherwise I think I would tweak the message. Yes, of course. Wow, mm. striking. No, huge, yeah. yeah. So what, what are you up to actually- at the moment, Rico? Well, at the moment, I think, I am trying to learn what it is to serve my family. My, if you say, you know, I looked at that question, what are the lessons at the moment? The lessons are we have to have integrity in our lives. So what does it mean to be serving as you're preaching? And um, I think for me, the lesson at the moment is, you know, we've got a one-year-old who doesn't sleep very well. She's called Mercy. I don't know why we called her Mercy, because uh, she's not terribly merciful at the moment in terms of getting up. So I was up at sort of, I don't know, quarter to five this morning with her, and um, I've got a four and a six-year-old. And I I, I think it's that sense of, um, if we want to stand up and speak, the Lordship of Christ has got to be in every area, and particularly our homes. And it's interesting, these great ones in the past, you know, John Wesley had a very bad marriage. Wilberforce um, uh, uh, had a good marriage. But um, Whitfield took his wife on a preaching tour on honeymoon. So he didn't love her as, you know, he, he, she had to follow him on a preaching tour. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just think this thing of, what does it mean to be a, a husband and father, to care for to serve your kids, to love your wife, to make sure she's um, getting time to read her Bible in the morning and to, 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 to you know, just collect herself before um, a day, you know, um, uh, again, with all the children and life demands. So if you say, what am I working on at the moment, I I, I suppose it is that a bit. Mm. I think it is that. And trying to maintain a spiritual, you know, walk with the Lord uh, uh, in the midst of that. Yeah, yeah. That so it's integrity. And it's interesting that, you know, a mission I did a while back, Um, there was a guy who was there who um came from, um, a, you know, reformed background, was a very fine preacher, and yet left his wife for a much younger woman in the church. It's caused absolute mayhem. And so, you know... Bicker there said to me, he said, you know, there's a disconnect here between they hear great preaching, but can they trust it? Because we've got to be living it. And of course, that's the postmodern critique. Mm. The postmodern critique is, you know, is that a power play? Yeah. And how are you really living? Ravi Zacharias, he tells that story about a, 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 a friend of his who brought someone to hear him preach and uh, they were two women. And um, the woman who was brought on the way back home in a taxi said, oh, yeah, he was amazing. I wonder how he lives at home. Mm. That was her, her line. So I suppose, right. I suppose, you know, we can never, mm. that, that can never fail to be important.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> Let's look at the, uh, did you, have you come across uh, Rodney Stark's book, Rise of Christianity? He's this, mm. uh, I believe, I think he was an unbeliever when he wrote it, just a sociology mm. uh, academic. And he was looking at the development and rise of religions. And yeah. he was asked, he asks the question, how is it that this little band of 12 blokes changed the world? Mm. And then he looks at again and again, and it was striking because he didn't come with a the theological axe to grind. He mm. was just a sociologist. He says, again and again, the sources show they cared for people in the grassroots. Mm. And I did classics and we, we studied Thucydides. I read Thucydides. Yeah. And quite simply, the fellow talks about when, when there was plague,
1: the first That's people right. to flee. In the Peloponnesian War. They, yeah, yeah they were, yeah. They
0: were, the, were the, the cultic priests. They'd gone. Yes, But then when, he, when the church comes and plague comes, mm. uh, I think it's Cyprian or Cyril writes to someone, it's at some pagan Roman emperor mm. says, these Christians, they don't really care for their own, they care for everyone else's poor. Mm. And it was when they got into the grassroots. Now mm. on our little exhibition at Christian Heritage in London, one of the things we, we talk about is um, we talk about the church in London from Roman times up until the 21st century. Mm. One thing that's striking is that when we talk about the 21st century, Mm. What does the church do in London? And we talk about two things. We talk about the people who have come back to London to start churches. Mm. So we see these extraordinary growth in Mm. African started churches and so on. But the other thing we talk about is the two big courses that have come from London. And what's striking Mm. about Christianity Explored and Alpha Mm -hmm. is that they are both set in the domestic Around the table, yes. yeah. they sit. Yeah. They're set in the gra- grassroots environment mm. where you. It's they're not. We. It's interesting that Christianity has not developed naturally into a stadium filling movement, no. typically. But instead, it seems to be vital in the grassroots communities. Yeah.
1: And Christianity explored has been a large part of that. Yeah, I mean, interestingly picking that up. I, I will talk about seeing in a moment. But talking Jesus, which was this na- national survey of of people speaking about Jesus. 67% of people in this country have a Christian friend they like. Mm. Why do they like them? Well, because there's a humility, Wow. there's a self-sacrifice. So, you know, the media, again, you know, I don't want to paint the whole, but would say, oh, there are 15% of people in the country left who have a Christian friend and it's all dying out and everyone involved in it is over 80, mm. whilst actually the real, again, grassroots experience is, uh, no, I've got a Christian friend that I like and uh, he's kind and gracious and I, I value that. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think the thing is to keep giving the church confidence. You know, guys, you're doing this, keep doing it. And people actually find it deeply comforting because individualism in the culture is so rampant. Mm. There's always been potential, or potency perhaps is the word, there's always been potency among
0: the grassroots in the church. People who genuinely are serving when no one's watching and that people see that. We had someone on our estate recently saying to my wife uh, that she was... uh, She'd had trouble on our our estate. And this Muslim woman said to my wife, if you get involved,
1: everyone trusts you. We think, really, why? And it's just, we've been there for a while and we've shown that we haven't blown it. No, no. I mean, I think that's just enormous. Uh, uh, John Stott's last sermon to the church, um, not at All Souls, but his last ever sermon really, was up at Keswick, the Keswick convention. And it was, the greatest need for the church is holiness. It is. It's a five-point sermon. It was, you know, he it he had to be carried off the stage once oh, he wow. preached up at Upper Keswick. But it is about personal, you know, godliness is the great need oh, and serving others. But when that happens, um, you know, the authenticity of Jesus, the servant who comes to save us, is mm, is very real. That's right. And again, you're right. On Christian explored, what we're trying to do, I'm sure Alpha's the same, is we're trying to set up relationships. So people come, they go on a journey together, but we're saying to the leaders, get involved with people's lives, serve. Uh, and as you do that, the Lord Jesus Christ walks off the pages of Scripture, but also he, he bridges into their lives as they see something different. Mm. Amen. Hey, yeah. it's wonderful.
0: One thing I just noticed uh, as you're speaking, I spoke with uh, others who are based here at a large London central church. Yeah. Speaking with Steve Nichols. Mm. And similarly, he's trying to get in among people. He's getting among the relationships. And I think it's terribly important when you're in a large
1: church that you are prioritizing the
0: importance of the personal. I want to have integrity.
1: Yeah, I know someone's cooked here when they don't have time for the individual. Wow. They're trying to do the corporate thing. But if if, if I give them a couple of people to follow up and they're like, I really can't do it, I think actually um, this isn't the right job for you. I think that's true of any sort of ministry, isn't it? Because our job is to be going after lost sheep, Wow. and it's exhausting. So, for, for, I mean, the start of the little book I wrote on evangelism, honest evangelism, again, the op- I knew what the opening quotation from scripture would be. It would be from Luke 15, where the shepherd goes after the lost sheep, mm-hmm. and a search is launched to find what is incredibly valuable, but it's mm-hmm. arduous. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that sense of, of, of people I mean, John Stott would say this, you know, each person is someone for whom Christ has died, therefore they're infinitely valuable, they're worth my effort to go and get them. Mm, mm, yeah, striking.
0: Huge. So Rico, the, I, I'd like to draw an application from that for each of us because the, the fascinating mm. irony is that for many people who are trying to do church planting mm. in little contexts, they look to the example of the large church and they try to copy the, the programs but here we are in the building of a large mm. church, and you're saying
1: individuals, individuals.
0: What advice well, brother, would you all the,
1: say? The, the programmes are there to foster going after the individuals. Oh, the so, you know, we we run these programmes, but people say, oh, is it programmes before people? Absolutely not. The programmes are places where we can try and gather people, but then serve them as individuals. So mm. it's, you know, they're just there to help us, But but, but underlying it all is the one-to-one work and asking all the time, explore, where's this person at? Mm. Explain, what's the next thing to teach? Encourage from your own life, put flesh on it. You know, explore, explain, encourage. Always be doing that. Oh, I like
0: that. I I once asked Tim Keller a question, how was it he started Redeemer from personal evangelism? And he said, asking questions, listening, he says, is Mm. such an important thing. He says, when you can articulate your friend's problem christianity better than they can that's a key moment because yeah, then you can apply the scalpel yeah. rather than just yeah yeah that's very a yeah. distance. and
1: you've listened to them yeah yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's
0: one of the striking we're talking to jace you know jay, you know, jay yes, smith jay, yes, the guy yes, who works yes, with yeah. muslims he he's striking because he asks muslims okay you say that islam is the religion of peace um can you just show me one place in the quran where it says that Mm. And of course, they the Muslims who we know are very often and genu- generally respectful and respectable. Mm. But you, can, you have to ask: is that because of Islam or in yes. spite of in Islam? Spite, yeah, that's fine. and that's the that's the the big challenge. For us. But right, as, yes. as we ask them, and of course, when you're equipped by someone like Jay to mm. actually see what the Quran mm. says, you can actually do it with some effectiveness. Mm. Now, uh, Rico, we're speaking, talking in our time. Yeah. What is, what, tell us a, a bit of advice or tell us some things which uh, we can, uh, which you have seen repeatedly and you're thinking, I
1: wish I had known this. Give us some advice. Well, well, let me go back to Talking Jesus, something from that that I think is huge for our encouragement. Can I just, uh, sorry, what is that website? Talk, Talking Jesus, www.talkingjesus.org. And it's a survey of what's going on evangelistically in Britain. Okay. Conducted by Hope UK by the EA, um, I, I put some of my money into it because I realized how important it was, run by Barner, a non-Christian organization, but they reckon it's 95% correct. But let me just give you something from that. Yes. So again, as I've said, 67% of people in this country have a Christian friend they like, two thirds, it's amazing. So keep going, you may well be the only Christian friend that, uh, I, I mean, I can think of the church family, a whole host of people have got, but you're their mate and they like you, be encouraged, keep going. But um, uh, celebrate them, that's what I'd say to them. Secondly, serve them. You know, they they like us because we serve, keep doing it. Mm. But thirdly, cross the pain line. So be prepared to, you know, ask a tough question that could be relationally threatening, although acknowledge it's relationally threatening. Say, look, I'm a bit concerned about saying this because it's a fairly big thing and your friendship's important to me, so please bear with me as I say it. I don't want to offend you. But it might offend you, but because I care for you, I'm saying it. Amen. So, you know, so acknowledge the fear, mm. but yet say it. Mm-hmm. Ask the question. The easiest one is, do you celebrate Christmas? Would you come along with me? You know, that's still acceptable to do. But, but, but be prepared to, as you grow the friendship, ask the tough question. But then four, exit. So if they shut up, you shut up. Often the English just go quiet when they don't want to go further. Uh-huh. But I think that's Matthew 10 verse 14, shake the dust off your feet. You know, if they, if they go quiet, you go quiet. If they keep talking, you keep asking questions. Mm. So celebrate them, serve them, cross the pain line, ask a tough question, which everyone's appropriate. Anyone's appropriate. You know, we've had someone on our street who's got a very bad back, and I sort of went, well, you know, what happens if the back never gets right? Where do you go for happiness then? Because you know, Christian joy is internal; human happiness is external, and we're we're, we're going on about joy. You know, so it's, mm. a, it's a bit of a pain line there, but. Now, you may then hit, when you cross the pain line, hostility, but you may hit hunger, but you don't know until you've crossed it and wow. asked the question. Wow. So I think that's a big piece of advice. The other thing I want to say is on, on the whole same-sex attraction thing and homophobia, of that 67% who had a Christian friend they like, what's the percentage who think mm. that Christian friend they like is homophobic? Answer, 6%. Wow. In other words, as churches, and this isn't being acknowledged in the media, we have radically changed. It doesn't mean we're not orthodox. It doesn't mean we're not going to call sin, sin. We're we're, we're not going to, um, you know, say with same-sex attraction, it's okay. But what we are doing is saying homophobia is terrible. Mm. The persecution has been terrible. Mm -hmm. We repent of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the same school as Alan Turing and... um, you know, they reckon he saved, shortened the, year, the war by two years and saved about 40 million lives and yet he was persecuted because of his homosexuality and end up, ended up dying in 1954. I mean, that is agony that that happened and I think we need to keep saying in the church, we utterly refute homophobia yet we remain orthodox in terms of the way of human flourishing is a man and a woman within marriage. Very good, yeah,
0: yeah. Talking about, yeah, human flourishing. We yeah. want you to flourish. Yeah. We want you I to flourish. Right. We yeah. don't think, we don't want you to, to run no. into death. I was working with a in the same building as a woman who was a radical lesbian. Um, she was talking about the pride march that was happening, that, yes. I think it was the next day or, the, or a couple of days afterwards. I said, oh, will you be going down? She says, oh no, too many, too many people I don't wanna see. And he realized oh. her life has not led her into freedom of flourishing. Mm. It had led her into an into a unpleasant place where just uh, license had bred death. And she didn't want to be among that community. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Rico? Interestingly. Yeah, and I suppose last thing, what would I say of advice? With evangelism, I mean, it was such a relief that John Chapman taught me. You just speak the truth and you leave the results to God. Your job is to make sure you've got it right and to be for people. So Chapo was always for you. You always felt he, he had a great affection, hmm. but at the same time, he believed in the Holy Spirit. So he would speak, trusting the Holy Spirit to open our, our blind eyes. He would articulate as well as he could, but the results were the Lord's. He wouldn't be there for how many have been converted.
0: Oh, bless God. Isn't hmm.
1: that yeah, freeing? It's yeah, it is. It's utterly liberating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so part of the gospel. Hmm. Bless God. Hey, it's so good to have some time with you, Rico. Thank you. And I hope you get Thanks some much. rest this yes, evening. Yes, 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 yes. With hope your family. So. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see an evangelist on a Monday. That's what I am after a weekend uh, mission, but then anyway, we'll go oh, from there. Bless your
0: heart, sir.